I just got in from Branson, Missouri, preaching with Brother Copeland this past weekend. I got home about 1.30 this morning, got in bed about 2.30 this morning. And if I fall asleep while I'm preaching, just wake me up and let me continue. <laughs> A few days ago, I was uh, just spending some time of fellowship with the Lord and just praying in the Spirit for quite some time. And I received a word from the Holy Spirit, and I want to share it with you. I'm, I'm not one who has a word from God every time I open my mouth. I must be a minor prophet. As I, I know some that every time they open their mouth, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And uh, I, I'm just not that way. But when I do hear from the Lord, I know I have heard from the Lord. <laughs> and so um, I want to I share this with you. And uh, if you'd like a copy of it, I'm sure our staff will arrange for that. A year of first. That's what you will see. I'll make it happen. You can count on me. Things never seen nor ever heard before. I'm bringing them to pass. That's what's in store. Things that most will say could never be. Just stay in faith and watch and see. For this is the time for an outpouring of my love. So get ready for more and more unusual things, says your Father from above. People will stand in awe and wonder at the glorious things they shall see. And you'll testify that they're happening to you because of your love for me. No longer think that what looks so impossible could never change. Oh, yes, it will, says the Lord. In fact, it's already been arranged. So rejoice in your God and boldly say, I'm headed for greater things. And they're on their way. Amen. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and say, I receive that. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. So, with that in mind, I want to talk to you this morning about get ready for more and more first in your life. That was the first thing he said. A year of first, that's what you'll see. I'll make it happen, you can count on me. Open your Bibles to Psalm 77. Psalm 77. And let's look at verse 11. <clears throat> I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God is our God. Thou art the God that doest wonders. I want to read this, a portion of this from the Passion Translation. I could never forget all your miracles, my God. I ponder all you've done for me, Lord. And then Psalm 105, verse 5 says, Remember his marvelous works that he had done and his wonders. And the Passion Translation says, Don't ever forget his miracles and his marvels. And then Psalm 143, verse 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. And the Passion Translation says, 
I remember the glorious miracles of days gone by, and I often think of all the wonders of old. And then Psalm 145, verse 2 and 3, just from the Passion Translation. Every day I will lift up my praise to your name. Lord, you are great and worthy of the highest praise. So obviously here, the psalmist is telling us that it's important that we remember the wonders, the marvels, the miracles that God has already done for us. Never forget them. In fact, I'm still talking about today miracles that he did for me when I first came to the Lord in 1969. I preached them all over the world. I'm still preaching them and I will continue to preach them. Amen. I've had a lot of first in my life. How about you? Anybody ever had some first? And, and some of them are, are very common, you know, uh, and, and, and I'll get to some of the first that uh, are related to my walk with the Lord. But uh, well, let me say this to you before I, I talk about those. So, some memories are just so special that you cherish them forever. Can you agree with that? Memories are so special that you cherish them forever. Particularly one that happened to me when I was a young boy. I met this girl. In fact, I'd like to show you a picture of her. This is a little younger. She was a little younger at this time than when I met her. Right there. Now, I was actually 11 and she was 9 when we first met. But uh, she didn't change a whole lot. She was still the cutest little thing I'd ever seen the first time I saw her face. Reminded me of a song. I say, oh, Rose in your eyes. okay, thank you. I'd love to, I'd love to listen to that whole song again, but I got some other things to do. <laughs> but uh, this is the little boy she fell in love with, but I was a little older than this picture. <laughs> now you know why I'm so handsome today. Do you have the you have the one Jerry that that I, when I was about eleven? <laughs> well, we'll if we find it, we can show it. But that was a first in my life. We had just moved on the street that her family already lived on, and uh, I remember I, I was in the sixth grade, eleven years old, and the first day that was uh, uh, halfway through school. I we had moved. And, and, of course, I had to change schools. And the first day I got on that school bus, she was already on the bus. 
And I thought she was the cutest thing I had ever seen. I thought to myself, I got to have that woman. (laughs) And... uh, And so uh, my parents started taking my sister and I, who was right over there, to the little church, Baptist church, down at the end of our road, called Pinecroft Baptist Church. And we had just joined the church, you know, and we were into everything, the training union, royal ambassadors, you know, all of that. And uh, that first couple of weeks that we had joined the church, the youth department was going to have a hayride. Remember hayrides? And they had a tractor with a, with a wagon on the back, and it had hay, and, and it, was, it was going to be a hayride. And it was, you know, I guess somewhere between 10 and 14 years old or something. So I asked her to go on the hayride with me. And it was chaperoned and everything, you know. I mean, we were too young to date. But I asked her to go on that hayride with me because I thought she was so cute. And she said, uh, well, I I can't because we're going to Arkansas to visit my grandparents. So I was a little let down, you know, but uh, I went on the hayride anyway. And the next morning I saw her. I thought she didn't go to Arkansas like she said she was going. I said, that's the last time I'll ever ask her to do anything. I thought she just, you know, didn't want to go with me. But it really was, she was afraid to ask her daddy. (laughs) Because she was so young. Yeah. Oh, that's, that, that may have played a role in it. <laughs> but it was chaperone, you know. <laughs> but I thought maybe she didn't like me and she just made up that story. So I never asked her to do anything else until many, many, many years later. When uh, I ran into her when I came home from college and I happened to run into her at the car wash. And I hadn't seen her in a long time. I thought, hey, she's still cute. (laughs) How many of you remember your first date? Anybody remember your first date? How many of you would like to forget it? (laughs) I remember my first date. You know, memories, some memories, as I said, are just so special, you cherish them forever. Now, when I got old enough to date, the first date I had was with her best friend. (laughs) I didn't know they were best friends, but I I met this young girl and and I asked her out on a date and come to find out it was her best friend. And uh, little did I know that she had uh, wanted to date me and really believed that one day we would wind up getting married. But I didn't know all those things. 
And a lot of times I would go pick up my, her best friend and take her to school and Carolyn would be in the back seat of my car. I'm going to write a book someday and say, call it, I married the girl in the back seat. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what I look like when she saw me for the first time. <laughs> and so um, you, you have a way of never forgetting first. Yeah, that's good. So first date, first kiss. You're getting a little personal now, Brother Jerry. <laughs> First kiss. I practiced all day. <laughs> you did too. Don't laugh at me. You did too. Yeah. You 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 did like this. <laughs> First kiss. <laughs> Oh, but I'll never forget my first car when I got old enough to, to get my driver's license. In fact, I had my first car before I even got my driver's license. My dad bought me a 1929 Model A Coupe. And uh, I was only about 12 years old when he gave it to me. But we lived in the country, and you could drive up and down the road without a license, you know. So me and Kenny Hennard, we'd jump in the old Model A and ride all over the place. But that first car. And then I remember coming home from school one day, and I couldn't, I couldn't find my Model A. And my daddy had sold it. But he bought me a 32 Ford Roadster. My first Roadster. My first 32 Ford. Oh, 32 Fords, they were, they, were, they were the most popular in making hot rods out of. Still are today. And I remember going down to my dad's garage and I was looking for the Model A Coupe. And I saw a 32 Ford in there. I said, Dad, whose car is that? He said, it's yours. Dad was a special man. I remember my first baseball game. I was a little guy. And... Uh, I was told I was too little to play for the team I went out for and really crushed me, broke my heart. But then they started another team and I was selected on that team and that began my baseball career. But I'll never forget my first no-hitter. That was amazing. I didn't even know I'd pitched a no-hitter until after the game was over. And the coach from the other team came up to me and said, Son, did you know you pitched a no-hitter tonight? I said, Really? He said, Yeah, there was not a man got on base tonight the whole time you pitched. Well, the, new, uh, the uh, Shreveport Times happened to have a reporter out there reporting all the Little League games. And uh, so I made the newspaper the next day. And my dad carried that clipping around with him all of his life. And 25 years later, he was pulling it out, showing people, did you know my son pitched a no-hitter? I said, Dad, that's 25 years ago. He, oh, he was still proud. <laughs> my first no-hitter. Well, you, when you get a first no-hitter, you want one every game. Of course, I didn't get one every game. It's a long time before I ever got another one. But there are certain things, certain memories that are very special and you cherish them forever. 
Here's another first. Take a look at this one. Jerry Ann. I was on active duty. Jerry Ann was born while I was on active duty. She was three and a half months old before I ever saw her. And I came home. Actually, I, I had a three-day pass. And I was only supposed to go 150-mile radius from the base. And I went 1,500 miles to come back and see my child. And that's the first time I saw her. Carolyn didn't even know I was coming home. I just walked in the door. Surprise! (laughs) As Gomer Powell would say. Those are special moments. First. How many of you can agree? First are very special moments. I remember the first time I heard the word of faith through Kenneth Copeland. Changed my life. 1969, February 1969. I'd never heard anything like it before. And even though I was, as Brother Copeland would say, scripturally illiterate at the time, I didn't know anything. But the moment I heard him, the very first time I heard him, I knew it was truth. Now, a lot of people were in that same meeting and they rejected it. They didn't like it. They didn't like him. <laughs> and I believe to this day that God sent him there just for Jerry Savelle and Carolyn Savelle. It changed our lives, particularly mine. Now, Carolyn grew up in, you know, spirit-filled church, but I didn't. And I'd been running from God for a while. And, uh, but the first time I heard it, I knew what I heard was the truth. And I couldn't get enough of it. And it changed my life that day. And it's still changing my life to this day. First. How many of you remember something that God did for you the first time you exercised your faith? The very first time after you learned that I can have faith. And you begin to learn how to release faith. How many of you remember the first miracle you ever experienced? Do you still talk about it today? My first miracle was when Terry's fingers were cut off. And she was what, about 13 months old? 18 months old. Brother Copeland was preaching and and, uh, Terry and Jerry were in the nursery. And we heard a scream, a child scream. And the nursery attendant come in and and uh, had Terry in her arms and blood running out the end of her fingers. And we didn't know what had happened at the moment, but she got her fingers under the rocking chair and the lady rocked over them and cut these two fingers off right behind the first joint. And uh, of course, Terry is screaming and, and uh, the lady put Terry in my arms and of course, I'd been hearing Brother Copeland preach all week on faith. I thought, now we're going to find out if he really believes this stuff. It happened in his service. I turned to him. And he walked off the platform. And about this tone of voice, in the name of, ladies, hands on in the name of Jesus, I command the pain to cease and the bleeding to stop. And Terry instantly laid her head on my shoulder and closed her eyes and fell asleep. 
I went into the men's restroom to, I still don't know what's happened, to wash all the blood off of her, blood's all over me. And then I saw what had happened. And uh, when I first saw it, I felt fear trying to grip me. And I had just read a scripture, Jude 20, building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So I started praying in the Holy Ghost. I thought, boy, if there's anything I need right now, some holy faith, you know. And uh, about that time, there was a knock on the door. Nursery attendant said, "Uh, Brother Jerry, can I come in? I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, I went back to the nursery and I found these in the floor and I didn't know what to do with them. So I thought I better bring them to you. And it was Terry's fingertips. Little tiny nails cut off right here behind the first joint. And she put those in my palm of my hand. And I felt that fear try to grip me again. So I prayed in the Holy Spirit. I had my Bible there and I laid it on the, on the sink uh, counter there where the sink is. And I opened it to the 11th chapter of Mark. Because that's what Brother Copeland had been preaching on. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. And then he had preached that week on the blessing of Abraham. And I turned over Deuteronomy chapter 28 and read about the blessing of Abraham. And one of the blessings was blessed will be the fruit of your body. And I said out loud, God, this is the fruit of my body. This little girl is the fruit of my body. And then I turned over Galatians chapter 3 because Brother Copeland had preached that week that Abraham's blessings are ours. And I went to verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so I held my Bible up. I laid those little fingertips in a piece of tissue on the counter and held my Bible up. And I said, God, you said in the uh, 55th chapter of Isaiah that your word does not return void, that you watch over your word to perform it. I said, I'm returning your word to you right now. And I'm expecting you to restore my baby's fingers. Amen. So be it. And then I wrote the date and the time and the scriptures that I was confessing in that Bible. And then I went right back into the service. It's not time to run from the word. It's time to run to the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So I sat back down on the front row next to Carolyn and Brother Copeland finished his sermon. And I thought it was an interesting thing. He had been preaching that morning from Mark chapter 4. Once the word is sown, Satan comes immediately to steal the word. That's exactly what he did. He came immediately to steal the word. Brother Copeland asked me, what do you believe in? I said, I believe God's going to restore my baby's fingers. He said, well, I set myself in agreement with you. He looked at her fingers. He said, I I recommend that you take her to the doctor. You don't want to leave those fingers exposed like that and uh, just have them dressed. But don't let them talk you out of your faith. So Carolyn and I took her to the hospital. And, and, uh, of course, they, you know, they meant well, but they 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 were trying to comfort us. But they certainly weren't in agreement with us. And they said, you know, doctor said, uh, all I can do is a skin graft, take some skin off her hip, cover them up, 
They'll never be normal. They'll never have nails. They'll never grow back the right length. And I kept saying, no, sir, you're wrong. My God will restore my baby's fingers. He said, that's impossible. I said, well, and I noticed in his office, he had Buddha statues. And I said, well, impossible with your God, but not my God. And he went over to Carolyn and said, "Uh, your husband's in shock. And I need to tell you that this is impossible. She said, no, sir, not with our God. Our God is the God who specializes in the impossible. And, and, And of course, we weren't going to let him talk us out of it. And I said, you go ahead and do what you can do and God will take over. He'll, he'll finish it from there. So he took her in and took some skin off her hip, covered them up, bandaged them, and then sent us home. And uh, come back in several weeks. But we're still confessing that our God is going to restore our baby's fingers. Now, I'd never, I'd never seen anything like this before. I'd never heard anybody else say, God restored my baby's fingers. If it was going to happen to us, it would be a first for us anyway. And so anyway, long story short, uh, we went to a Kenneth Hagen meeting in Tyler, Texas, the night before we were supposed to take her back to the doctor. And uh, Brother Hagen preached on Mark 11, 23 and 24. It fired us up. Man, I didn't even need a car to get home. I was hiring a Georgia pine tree. Faith. Man, it's something when faith kicks in. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And you just, you just couldn't doubt at that moment if you wanted to. So anyway, took her to the hospital the next day. And there's, there's some other things happened in between, but to make the shorten the story a little bit, when he got the bandages off, he lifted his hand and said, my God, we said, what is it? He said, look, The fingers are back. The nails are back. You can't even tell they were ever cut off. I said, no, sir, not your God, my God. (laughs) Amen. That was a first. That was a first. It marked me. It marked me for the rest of my life that the God I serve specializes in the impossible. Can you say amen? I know many of you have had first that marked you. Your memory of it is forever. Amen? Well, what makes you think that you can't have more first now? You don't just get first when you're young in faith. That's when it begins. God wants to continue to give you first. First time you've ever experienced something like this. Amen. You never forget when God has brought you through an impossible situation. You never forget when blessings come that totally surprise you. You didn't know they were coming. They overwhelm you when they manifest. Or things that you experience from time to time and you suddenly realize there is absolutely no way this could happen if it hadn't been for God. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You don't forget those things. Or maybe I should say, I don't forget those things. And I believe there are a lot of you in here just like me. As I mentioned earlier, I'm still telling stories today of the things God did for Carolyn and me 50 years ago. Why? Because they marked us. They were miraculous. 
they, 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 there was no way these things could have happened if it hadn't been for the God we serve. There's nothing quite like watching God do something for the first time. You never forget it. I remember the first car God blessed us with, debt free. It wasn't a new car, but it was a whole lot better car than what we were driving. The one we had was worn out. And we were believing God for a better car. I was just launching out into my traveling ministry. And, you know, if you're going to be a traveling preacher, you need something to travel in. <laughs> something that you can depend on. And uh, we, had, we had done a couple of meetings in that old car that we had. And uh, we were believing for a better car. And I, I knew my faith wasn't at the level to believe for a brand new one, debt-free. But I believed my faith was at the level that I could believe for one that was used and good shape, not a lot of miles on it. I, I believe my faith was at that level. And I remember Carolyn and I were leasing a place uh, here in town, not in Crowley, but in Fort Worth. And uh, there was a lady who lived across the street from us. And I was driving that old car. And uh, every once in a while, she'd see me out there working on it, trying to get it started. And she'd come over and say, you got car problems again, Brother Jerry? She was, like Jesse says, she was not a thorn in the flesh. She was a complete bush. <laughs> that, that woman... It was a, she was a messenger of Satan <laughs> trying, to, trying to talk me out of my faith. And every time she said, got car problems, brother Jerry? Well, she didn't call me brother. Got car problems, Jerry? And I'd say, yeah, but I got a better one, praise God. Well, where is it? I say, well, you just can't see it. It's on its way. Well, why is it on its way? Why don't you just go get it? Well, she wouldn't understand a thing I said if I tried to teach her faith. Oh, boy, every time she saw me out there, oh, it was like, she, she was like a vulture, you know. <laughs> but I'll never forget the day when that car manifested and I had it parked out in the driveway and she come over there. I was hoping she'd come. If she didn't come, I'd gonna go get her. <laughs> look, look, this is what faith produced. Nah, 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 nah. You know? <laughs> I love first. Amen. Some things are just so miraculous, there's no other way to explain it, but it had to be God. Amen. That's why the psalmist said in this psalm. Who is so great a God as our God? How many of you feel the same way? Who is so great a God as our God? No God can do what our God can do. David experienced so many wonderful and amazing things from God during his walk with God that he often made this statement, and it's recorded uh, in Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two, even though it's recorded in some other places as well. 
He says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. The message translation says, here's the story I'm going to tell my friends. <laughs> I love that. Here's the story I'm going to tell my friends. What, what's the story he was telling his friend? The miraculous things that God did for him. That's right. You know, you remember the story about Goliath and David slaying Goliath. But go back and read that story again. He stated a first as inspiration to believe that God would deliver Goliath into his hands. He said, the lion and the bear came against me and God delivered them into my hands. So what is this uncircumcised Philistine? What was he doing? Remembering a first. Remembering a first. Hallelujah. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation and Will I praise thee? Here's the story I'll tell my friends. In another psalm, he says, in Psalm uh, 34, verses 8 through 10, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. There is no want to them that fear him. They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. These are things David learned as he walked with God. Things that he learned about God. And how wonderful God is. And, and when these things would happen, David would not hold back in rehearsing them and telling them. That's what the book of Psalms is all about. David telling the wondrous things that he had seen God do in his lifetime. From the moment you begin your walk with God, you also begin to experience numerous new things that you had never experienced before. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. From the moment you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you should begin immediately experiencing new things. Amen. New things. I'm going to go so far as to say, if you're not experiencing new things in your walk with God, uh, maybe you need to go spend some more time with God. Amen. Amen. Well, Brother Jerry, I hadn't had anything new or first in the last 15 years. That's not right. It said all things are new. Isaiah says, speaking in God's behalf, behold, I do new things. God's the God of new things. God's the God of first. Can you say Amen. The Passion Translation says, All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Everything is fresh and new. His his mercies are new every morning. His love and compassion, manifestations of it, should be new every morning in your life. Hallelujah. My, my, My walk with God is not stale. It's fun. In fact, Brother Copeland and I, we laughed and laughed and laughed this weekend telling stories of things we have experienced over the last 52 years together. And we'd think of one story and then I'd think of one and he'd think of one. And we just laughed and laughed. He said, man, I never knew when I was growing up that God could be fun. 
I said, I didn't either. I thought he's always after me. God going to get you, boy. going to get you. I thought, who wants to serve a God that's always trying to get you? And then somebody tell you, the Lord will make you sick to teach you something. Well, then what do we need a devil for? God does not use sickness to teach us something. God does not wreck cars to teach us something. God doesn't take our children to teach us something. He said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now there is a thief and his name is Satan. Amen. So you begin to experience after you're born again, numerous first. And the closer that you walk with God, the more frequently they come in your life. I keep hearing the Holy Spirit say, 2021 will be a year of first like no other. Expect, expect them and continually praise God in advance for that. I'm going to say it again. 2021 will be a year of first like no other. Expect them and continually praise your God for them in advance. Why don't we do that right now? Just praise God in advance. Say, Lord, I praise you in advance for the first that I'm going to experience this year. Say it like that. Lord, I praise you in advance for the many first that I will experience this year. In fact, I believe I'll just give you a shout. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me define first for you. First are things that are new, things that are unique, things that are out of the ordinary that we've never experienced before. Things that are new, unique, out of the ordinary that we have never experienced before. There's a story in Luke chapter 5. In fact, why don't you go ahead and turn there and let me show you this. Luke chapter 5. In the ministry of Jesus. And there's a phrase I want you to see because I believe it's a phrase you're going to be using throughout this year and beyond. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 5, and uh, at the latter part of verse 17, it says, And the power of the Lord was present to heal all those that were in this house where Jesus was preaching. Verse 18, And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in uh, to lay before him. And when they could find no way they might bring him in because of the multitude. They went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling uh, with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Now drop down to verse 24, the latter part of the verse. Jesus says to him, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy couch and go into thy house. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately, immediately he rose up before them took up their own he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they 
were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Now, another translation, the message translation says, we've never seen anything like this before. That's the phrase you're going to be using quite often. Why don't you go ahead and practice right now? I have never seen anything like this before. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm about to say quite frequently throughout this year that God is doing things in my life that I've never seen anything like it before. Hallelujah. Well, Brother Jerry, how do you know that? Why would anybody fuss with it? Oral Roberts told me years ago, when, when he first started preaching on, uh, well, he was on television, but when he first started decreeing something good is going to happen to you. He'd, he'd start his program off with, they even had a, a song written about it. And, and uh, Richard and the world action singers would sing it. And at the end of the broadcast, Brother, Co- uh, Brother Roberts would say again, something good is going to happen to you. Well, boy, it just stirred me up. I started expecting something good is going to happen to me. He said, you will never, you, you could never imagine how many ugly letters I got from people saying, how do you know, Oral Roberts? Nothing good ever happens to me. Why, why, would, why would people fuss about it? Come on. Isn't the gospel good news? <laughs> Smile real big and tell the person next to you, something good is about to happen to you. Amen. That just, that just, like, like I heard Gloria Copeland say one time, my goosebumps are double parked. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, let me talk to you about some first that I've experienced. I mentioned the first time I heard the word of faith, how life-changing it was. Let me read this statement to you first, before I continue to talk about first. (laughs) Often, first, change the course of your life. Amen. That's, That's many times, that's what, that's why God does it. That's his purpose, is to set you on a new course, to change the course of your life. And that's what happened to me the first time I heard the word of faith. It set a new course for my life. And uh, another thing that, that uh, was a first for me was the first time I received a harvest from my sowing. Amen. I mean, if you remember that. First time I received a harvest on my sowing. Uh, I, I grew up, my grandfather had a farm in Mississippi and I'd go to the field with him from time to time. And, and uh, you know, and I learned some things about sowing and reaping. But when it came to life, you know, the only thing I ever heard where life was concerned was the negative side. People constantly saying, you're going to reap what you sow one day. You're going to keep sowing all them wild oats. They're going to come up. 
I, I had no idea that you could sow on purpose and expect good harvest. And Brother Roberts came out with a book. I believe he came out with that book for me because it came out in 1969. And the title was The Miracle of Seed Faith. And he said, if you will write to me, I will send you this book absolutely free. I turned to Carolyn and said, Carolyn, here's one we can afford. Get the address. (laughs) And boy, when that book came in the mail, I devoured it. I still have it. I still read it from time to time. I preached everything he said in that book. It was life-changing. And I began to experience for the first time harvest on my sowing. You know, a lot of Christians grow up in churches where they're told, uh, give to God, honor God, but don't expect anything in return. That is not biblical. That's not scriptural. The apostle Paul taught in, in Galatians, he taught in second Corinthians that when you give of your finances, that you are to expect a return. Amen. 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 And I remember the first time that I got a return. I got a harvest. Man, I was so excited. And I remember saying, this does work. And I've been sowing ever since. Carol uh, Carol and I sowed our way out of debt. We sowed our way into prosperity. We we live to give to this day. It's how we've acquired everything we have. Everything in our home. Everything in our ministry has a faith story behind it. Amen. A faith story. And it all began when we learned the principle of sowing and reaping. Another first. The first time that I laid my hands on a sick person. And watched God heal them immediately. I remember they they brought a, a boy to our house. This is 1969, early 70s, somewhere along in there. 69, actually. Late 69. They brought a boy to our house uh, who was a, uh, a drug addict. And he was stoned. I mean, he was messed up. He came out of a Pentecostal family, got to run around with a wrong crowd. And he was so messed up. Well, we would, we would, uh, God had launched me into a street ministry and I was, I was praying for drug addicts. I was, I was ministering to, uh, street people and they heard, you know, that I was doing that. So they brought this boy to my house and he didn't know where he was. He was so stoned and the Lord said, and, and they had to hold him up. And the Lord said, tell him to stand him in the corner of your living room. And they, they propped him up in the corner, held him up so he wouldn't fall. And I walked over and cast a devil out of him, laid my hands on him. Boy, he slid down that wall. I mean, the power of God hit him. He slid down that wall, jumped up, totally different looking. I mean, totally set free. And then was giving me his drugs to get rid of. (laughs) And when I saw what happened, 
I mean, I was, I was almost as shocked as he was because I, I had not laid my hands on people like that before. And when I saw, I mean, the, the Spirit of God picked him up and slammed him into the corner of the room and fell in the floor and he was totally free. I looked at my hands and I said, next. <laughs> next. That was the first. And then we used to take young people out all over Shreveport and teach them witnessing and, and praying for people because that, that's where I started. I didn't start preaching in churches. It's in the streets of Shreveport, Louisiana. And uh, I'd, I'd take young people out. And we went to a, a lake that was not too far out of town, uh, Caddo Lake. It had a park. And so I, I had about maybe 20 young people and I'd, I'd send them to different areas of that park to witness to people and just ask people, can I pray for you about anything? i pray with you about anything. And so I've got them scattered all over the place. And I'm standing uh, in this one spot and just observing and seeing if they're just out there playing or they're actually witnessing and whatever. And they were, man, they were, they were praying for people. People had their heads bowed. And two young girls in our group come running to me and said, Brother Jerry, Brother Jerry. Come help, help. I said, what is it? He said, there's a man in his car here and his, his child is dying and he's crying. And when we went up to him to ask if we could pray for him, he, he, he just broke into tears and said, my baby's dying. My baby's dying. And said, we don't know what to do. Come, come and help us. And so I, I went up there with him and tapped the man on the shoulder and he's got his head against the steering wheel just crying. I said, what is it, sir? He said, my baby's dying. My baby's dying. I said, well, where's your baby? He said, we live uh, just a little ways from here. And I just had to get out of the house because it was, it was so uh, oppressive. And, and I, just, I just, I don't know why I came here, but I had to come here. And I said, well, sir, you came to the right place. That, that's what we're here for is to pray for people. I said, take me to your house. So I got in the car with him. We he took me to the house. This house, bless their hearts, it, it was it was on its last legs. Seriously, I mean I, I, that house was so old; they didn't have any furniture to speak of. And when I walked in that house, his wife was kneeling down over the bed, and this old bed—I mean, it, it, you remember those old springs? You know, uh, it looked like something my grandpa used to have in the old house in Mississippi. Didn't have a mattress or anything. They had a blanket on top of those springs with that baby laying there. And I said, what's the matter? She said, my baby's dying. My baby's dying. Well, I'm not saying the baby had actually died, but it was the closest thing to death I'd ever seen. I mean, she's already turning purple. And I walked over there and, and laid my hands on the baby. And prayed. And I just heard a message from Kenneth Hagin where he had a similar situation. And he said, as he laid his hands on that baby, the baby will live and not die. The baby will live and not die. Well, that's what came out of me. And I laid my hands on it. I said, the baby will live and not die. The baby will live and not die. And suddenly that baby came to, and I mean, the color came back into her. And I thought, wow, next. 
Now, we had already moved to Fort Worth, and we were living in a little house that we had rented. Or at least that same house I was talking about where that demon-possessed woman was. And so, <laughs> and I get a letter. I, I, I gave those people my name and address and told them that they needed help, and I'd come and pray with them again. And I guess they contacted our our in-laws, Carolyn's mom, Carolyn's mom and dad. And I assume that they told us, told them that we were in Fort Worth. So I get a letter with a picture of this little girl. Now she's growing up and healthy and, and oh man, you just, you, those memories you never forget. I've laid my hands on thousands of people all over the world. Joe and I've cast demons out of demon possessed people all over Africa. I mean, those first, those first, you never forget them. That's the reason I still talk about them today. Hallelujah. But I'm not talking about them because I'm not still having first. In fact, the more I talk about them, it seems to spark new first. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands and say, Lord, I'm ready for some first. Hallelujah. Amen. The first time that the Holy Spirit used me to deliver a word of knowledge to somebody. Carolyn and I had uh, still living in Shreveport and we drove over to be in a meeting with Brother Copeland at Grace Temple. And uh, we didn't have any money, man. We was in that old car that I was talking about. And so in between services, we just sat out in the car and eat peanut butter crackers or something. If somebody had said, would you like to go eat? We, we, we'd had to say, no, because <laughs> we didn't have any money to eat. We just, we came to hear the word. But it wasn't really all that bad when you sit in the parking lot all day because you get the good seats when the doors open. <laughs> You're the first ones there. <laughs> and so uh, one morning after Brother Copeland got through speaking. He said, well, he come up and hugged us and said, uh, you guys want to go eat with me and Gloria? And I was about to say, well, thank you, sir, but uh, we're, we're just going to sit here, wait here for the evening service. He said, uh, in fact, I want to buy you lunch. I said, yeah, we'd be happy to go. <laughs> I'll never forget where we went. There was an El Chico's on Berry Street and we went to El Chico's. And we sat there and had lunch with Kenneth and Glory Cope. I, I was just overwhelmed. You know, this is, the, this is the man that brought the message to change my life, and I'm having lunch with him. And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have been more overwhelmed if he'd been the President of the United States. I mean, this, this was special. And uh, he said, uh, what are you guys going to do uh, after lunch? Well, I was about to say, we're going to go back to the church and sit in the car until the evening service. He said, why don't you go home with us? I thought, go home with Kenneth Copeland? My, I've just been invited to go to Moses' house. <laughs> you have to understand, when somebody's made an impact on your life like that, then... You esteem them highly. Yeah. 
Amen. Amen. And so they took us home with them. He walked us through the house and, and he got to his study. And he said, no, I'm going to go and prepare for the service tonight. So you guys just make yourself at home. Showed us where the kitchen was. Told us what's in the refrigerator. Do whatever you want. And uh, he said, if you want to sit in the study here, sit at my desk. And, and uh, but I'm going to go pray and get before the Lord for the service tonight. So I don't remember what Carolyn was doing, but he told me I could sit behind his desk. So I, I went and sat behind that desk. And when I sat down in that chair, I thought, wow, Kenneth Copeland sits here. And he had this big Bible on, right on the opened on his desk. And he had a wide margin. And he had his own personal notes around these scriptures. Ooh, I got my sheet of paper out and I started <laughs> writing down those personal notes. And then in a little while, he came back in there and he said, well, this is unusual for me. I usually don't talk to people before I go into a service. But he said, the Lord told me to come out and talk to you. He had some questions. Well, I was hungry to be used by God. And I just started reading about the gifts of the Spirit. And I said, uh, Brother Copeland, could you explain to me how a person is used by God in the gifts of the Spirit? And I said, in this, this one verse in particular, it says, uh, uh, cherish the best gifts. I said, what is the best gift? Because it had nine of them listed there. I said, what's the best gift? He said, the one that's needed at the time. I said, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> the one that is needed at the time. He said, you don't need the gift of prophecy when somebody needs a miracle. Amen. The working of miracles would be the best gift. Okay. And oh, he just made it so simple. It just opened up to me. He said, now I got to go back. He said, nah, uh, I'll come out and we'll all go to the service together. So we go to the service that night. And Brother Copeland is preaching and he just stops. He said, Jerry, you have a word from the Lord. Come on up here and give it. I said, no. <laughs> I answered it. I said, no. He said, God's been dealing with you all day about the gifts of the Spirit. Now he wants to use you in it. Come on up here. You've, you've, you've got something in your spirit that the church needs to hear. Come on up and give it. I said, no. <laughs> he said, well, why not? I said, I'm afraid it'll be wrong. He said, that's the worst thing you could be afraid of. In fact, you shouldn't even have any fear anyway. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He said, why are you afraid you're going to say something wrong? I said, I said this. I said, I might tell somebody God wants them to go to Africa and they die because I missed it. They should have been in Spain, you know, <laughs> or Australia. He said, you're not going to do that. He said, get on up here. I didn't want to. I mean, I walked up there. I wanted to be used by God, but I was afraid I'd do something wrong. So I walked up there and he put his arm around me and he told the people who I was and told the people about what the conversation we'd had earlier that day in his study. And he said, God's wanting to use this young man. And he said, and I just wanted to help launch him into uh, 
this new phase in his life. He said, now, Jerry, I'm going to speak that word that God gave you. I know it's on the inside of you. It's running around in you right now. And at any time you want to interrupt me and continue with it or finish it, you go right ahead. And so he started speaking out word of knowledge. I heard every word on the inside. I could tell him what the next word was going to be. And he'd look at me, you want to take it from here? No. (laughs) No. But it created a confidence that I can hear God. I mean, I could could have said, Brother Copeland, you can stop now. I'll finish this. It was a first. And I knew that I knew that I'd heard God. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. God's used me that way numerous times. Numerous times since then. Amen. So let me rush through this. It's, it's, what time is it? Oh, my time's just about up. All right, now, first are milestones in our lives. They are significant events that mark us for the rest of our life. The problem with so many Christians today is that they get satisfied with where they are. And they're satisfied with just living ordinary lives. And they never venture out in faith anymore and believe God for new things. As a result, they have fewer first in their lives. God never intended for us to live ordinary, commonplace, not exceptional in any way lives. God is wanting to cause us to live extraordinary lives. Amen. 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 Quit saying I'm normal. You're not normal. And most people know that. You're not normal. In the sense that they use the word normal. Psalm 115 verse 14 says, The Lord shall increase you more and more. Joe, take care of that. The Lord shall increase you more and more. That, that, that's not ordinary. That's not talking about an ordinary, run-of-the-mill, commonplace life. The Lord will increase you more and more. He doesn't want us to just sit in one place and become satisfied. He wants us to grow. He wants us to expand. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to increase in every area of our lives. He wants us to see new things, do new things, experience new things. Hallelujah. Now, keep your attention right here. When we experience new things that we've never experienced before, then there's just no way of telling how it's going to affect and change our lives for the rest of our lives. For instance, realizing for the first time that you can actually receive a dream from God and that you can actually pursue it and you can actually see it come to pass. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Or realizing for the very first time that you can actually be all God says you can be and you can actually do everything God says you can do and you can actually have everything God says you can have. The first time that becomes a revelation, 
your life never be, remains the same. There's something about special, something special about first. It's a moment that you know you'll never forget. Each first that we experience is a new victory that brings a sense of overwhelming joy. Also, they're meant to cause us to realize once again just how amazing our God is. Just how wonderful our God is. I'll finish this real quick. Psalm 115 verse 18. We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore praise the Lord. When God proclaimed through the prophet Isaiah, behold, I am doing a new thing in Isaiah 43, 19. He was letting us know that we can actually expect to experience new things from him. And that is certainly possible for us to go from one level in our lives to a higher level. And when we reach that level, it's possible to go to a higher level. Never ending. From faith to faith, glory to glory. Amen. God says, I am making a way in the wilderness and the rivers and in the desert. This is symbolic of, of, of uh, you reaching a place in your life, a dry place, a place where it doesn't look like anything is happening. And you're, you're, you're weary. And Satan is trying to discourage you in your walk with God. He says, I will make a way in the desert. I will make a way in the wilderness. When it seems like you can't go any further, God says, just watch. I got a new thing I'm working on for you right now. Amen. So don't limit God this year. Let your neighbor say, don't limit God. Don't allow the devil to get into your thinking that it's, this is all you'll ever see. You've gone as far as you'll ever go. Cast those thoughts down. Dare to dream bigger dreams. God isn't through doing great things in your life yet. There's so much more to come. So get up every day praising God for what he's already done and praising God for what he's about to do. Can you say amen? This is a year of first. Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand to our feet and give him our best shout. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Every head bowed for a moment. And please, no one looking around. This is, this is personal. And I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if there's anyone in here this morning or anyone watching my live stream, and it, and it seems that you've come to a place in your walk with God where you've, you've, you've lost some of your zeal, you've lost some of your joy. Uh, you're not as enthusiastic about your walk with Him as you had been in the past. God wants to restore that. He's a, he's a God of restoration. He doesn't want your walk to become stale. He wants you to experience some new things. So I want to pray in particular for people that can identify with that. If you do, just lift your hand real quickly. All right, several hands, you can put them down. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
I lift up every person that lifted their hand. I lift up every person that I can't see, but they can see me by live stream. And if they lifted their hand, I pray for them. I include them in this prayer in the name of Jesus. As David said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Restore unto me. You're the God of restoration. You want your people happy. You want your people joyful. You want your people enthusiastic. You want your people passionate. You want your people loving every moment they walk with you. And I pray that will take place in those that may have uh, lost that. Today is their day to get it back and to never lose it again. In the name of Jesus, we receive it and we thank you for it. Now let's all lift our hands and praise God this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Praise God.